In early August 2017, a home-built submarine descends underwater with two people aboard. One is rescued after the sub sinks. The other is considered lost at sea. That is, until a mutilated torso washes up on shore. I'm M. William Phelps, an investigative journalist and author of more than 40 true crime books. I've dedicated the past 20 years of my life to helping families of the missing and murdered. Join me. We're crossing the line. It's August 10th, 2017, and 30-year-old journalist Kim Wall is making final preparations for a move to Beijing, China with her fiancé, Ol, a native Dane. As a freelancer, Kim has built an award-winning career on the ground, in the moment, in the element. And she's reported stories from the U.S., Cuba, North Korea, Kenya, Uganda, all over the world. Her writing and short films appear in Harper's Magazine, The New York Times, Foreign Policy, The Atlantic, Times, Slate, Vice, and The Guardian. I mean, we're, we're talking about a, a world-renowned investigative journalist here. Born and raised in Sweden, Kim is a chestnut-haired natural beauty described by friends and family as an empath, an incredibly caring, loving soul. She comes from a devoted family and is as close to her parents, both journalists themselves, as any child could be. Before leaving for China, Kim hoped to do a story on 47-year-old Peter Madsen, a self-described entrepreneur. So... Pete is eccentric. He's a bit of a local celebrity in Copenhagen, known for his eccentricity and often compared to Elon Musk. Kim was primarily interested in speaking to Madsen about his obsession with building a rocket to send civilians into space. I remember as a child, kids wanted to be astronauts. I mean, you made a space helmet out of cardboard and uh, you took a box and that was your spaceship. But a few of us have grown up uh, with the obsession of building a rocket to send people into space. Uh, Apparently, Pete Madsen tried to fulfill that dream. Kim tried to chase down Madsen via email for weeks, but he wasn't being responsive. Finally, Madsen gets back to her. This guy has managed to weld and shape 40 tons of steel into a massive 59-foot submarine That actually works. And so he asked Kim if she'd be interested in conducting the interview during a ride on the submarine. You know, he figures it'll make an interesting story. She agrees. I mean, who wouldn't want to go on a homemade submarine to the bottom of the ocean? Uh, not me. Kim Wall is a bit of a celebrity herself for all the right reasons. Her integrity as a person and in her reporting, her honesty in her reporting— her self-discipline, self-awareness, and above all, her compassion that she brings to the table when she's reporting on her subjects. She graduated from Columbia School of Journalism and the London School of Economics. When Kim went after a story, nothing held her back. She was gutsy, disciplined, and extremely perseverant, chasing stories many others were too afraid to go near. She called reporting on the subcultures of human life she chose, quote, the undercurrents of rebellion. You know, she had this passion for exposing human atrocities and fought to tell stories focused on women's rights. 
And this is at a time when news isn't really news anymore. We all know this. And journalism is something we're forced to really search for, right? Kim is that that hard-nosed reporter giving us the hard truth and the facts, no matter the fallout. So it's like, I can remember back in the day when, you know, news was on for 30 minutes a day and you turned it on and there was some guy with his hair blowing and bullets going by him and, you know, people fighting in the background and he's reporting on what happened. Nothing more, nothing less, just what happened. I just wish others in the field would take on journalism the way that Kim Wall has. Her parents said the world needs more, quote, brave female journalists who give voice to the people that normally never hit the front pages, end quote. You know, that's a great way to describe what she does. So now getting back to August 17, 2017, it's near 7 p.m., Kim steps aboard Pete Madsen's UC-3 Nautilus submarine in the waters between Denmark and Sweden, just outside Copenhagen. She and Madsen plan to take a brief trip underwater. Remember now, Kim has been waiting for weeks to report on this guy and his rocket, but here she is aboard his submarine because she's chasing the story. This is no small undertaking. The first submarine successfully used in warfare to sink another vessel was technically a success, although every member of that crew drowned as it became waterlogged and sank. In fact, the same fate befell every submarine crew for years before the kinks were worked out. Kim had to have an enormous amount of faith that the person who built this homemade submarine has the technical and engineering know-how to not only submerge the machine, but to get it to resurface, right? Some of this information comes from Dead Wake, the last crossing of the Lusitania, which is by Eric Larson, who did Devil in the White City and stuff like that. Yes, And I mean, if you ever want to learn about how insane it is to be in a submarine, this book has it all. It talks about the first few decades of submarine use, no crew came back alive. They were basically dredged up later, as in the case of this, the first successful quote-unquote submarine. The entire crew died, and it was more people than on the ship that they actually sank. This <sighs> stuff is no mean feat. It's like— It's no joke. No. I, I, I mean, look at how many soldiers died in the Civil War with all those makeshift homemade submarines that were made yes. then. So that's Catherine Law, my executive producer, uh, and you're, you're going to hear her from time to time chime in with her great information like she did today, although I would never promote Eric Larson. Uh, she did, and I, and I, and, and, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he's a great- he's, Only one true crime writer on this show. He's a great writer, and he's a great researcher, and he writes great books. I mean, yeah. you know, look, yeah. I, I have nothing against the guy. They're page turners. What can we say? Yeah, you know. So, you know, there's a throng of people along the docks and they're waving to Kim as she and Madsen board the vessel. There's photographs of this. A passing ship cruising the harbor snaps a photo of Kim standing wearing an orange life vest with an obvious smile washed over her face. And she's atop the tower of the craft. And the vessel name you see three is etched in large white letters just below on her right. Pete Madsen is standing very close to her. So not long after, Madsen and Kim Wall retreat into the craft and the submarine takes its plunge into the depths of the ocean. 
and this moment here in, in the story, I think, shows the boundless courage of Kim Wall, who has reported on the front lines of dangerous situations all over the globe. You know, here she is taking the plunge literally underwater in a submarine made in a private workshop by a guy who never graduated engineering school. <laughs> I mean, a man who refers to himself as Rocket Madsen under the promise he is going to be the first private citizen shot into space in a rocket ship he built himself. So, you know, this is the mad professor, really. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, I would go with the submarine first before I blew myself up in a rocket ship I made myself. Yeah. But, uh... <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I would do neither. But um, <laughs> give Kim Wall props for having the courage yeah. to really, I mean, she, again, going back to her character, she wanted this story. Yeah. And she was going to do what it took to get the story. So as ocean water covers the surface of the submerging UC3, Kim texts her fiancé, Ole, to say, quote, I love you. I'm still alive, by the way, but I'm going down now. She also mentions that Madsen has brought cookies and coffee for the two of them. It seems like a nice little trip happening here. So who was this man who Kim Wall trusted with her life, right? Inventor Pete Madsen grew up in a small village, Sebi, about 470 kilometers northwest of Copenhagen. Madsen was such a prodigy, he started his own company in 1986 at the age of 15. And he called it the Danish Space Academy. His dream then was to collect enough parts to build a rocket. As an adult, he abandoned engineering school after getting all the information he thought he needed and pursued his second obsession, building his own submarine. So he went to school, got what he needed, got the hell out, and started building. Having come from a broken home, motherless since the age of six, with a father he described as authoritative and violent, you know, here's Pete Madsen having these successes, and it it kind of proved that he'd beaten the odds maybe, you know, he'd come out of a broken home and here he was doing his own thing and rising really in success, becoming kind of this celebrity engineer. And very well liked. It seemed like people really enjoyed being around him and followed his adventures. And people liked listening to the guy. People were wondering what he was going to come up with next, right? Madsen lived in Refsaloon a busy port town in the harbor region of Copenhagen where he had a small apartment with his wife. 22 years after starting DSA in 2008, Pete Madsen launched the largest privately made submarine, the UC-3 Nautilus, from the shores of Copenhagen Bay. But here's the thing about the UC-3. Madsen had not yet figured out a way for it to be maneuvered underwater. So he basically sunk it and it drifted with the current. Below the waterline, a safe bet was that he had about 12 hours of oxygen for two people and no more inside the submarine, which is, you know, something you need when you're underwater. You need you need to breathe, unless you're a fish. I would argue you do still need to breathe if you're a fish. <laughs> you just breathe water. <laughs> right. That's at fine where Kim Wall is concerned because she needed only a few hours of reporting at the most, to write her story. So 12 hours of air, two hours she's with him, fine. If Madsen wants to turn this thing into a PR stunt by launching the vessel in front of a bunch of people, so be it. Kim gets her story, 
He gets a little publicity. Everybody's happy. So Kim Wall and inventor Pete Madsen are the only two people aboard the craft as it slips under the depths of the Baltic in Copenhagen Harbor. By all accounts, Madsen cannot go too far because he has no way to navigate the thing, right? The submarine is not a small craft by any means. This isn't like, you know, the size of a car or something like that. I I want you to picture the image of the sub that you probably have in your head right now. Like, think maybe like Red October, just not as large and minus all the technology. But this thing was huge that he built. So Kim settles into work mode and the journey begins. But as the night progresses, there is no word from her or Pete Madsen. Hours go by. And Kim's fiance, Ole, is growing deeply concerned. Kim had said it shouldn't take long, but it's now after midnight and Ole has yet to hear anything from her. After texting Kim repeatedly, not getting any response, Ole's fear turns to dread. So let's put it into perspective. You know, this big to-do in front of all these people, Kim and Pete Madsen, they go underwater You know, and this is like, I don't know, seven o'clock or so, but now it's after midnight and the fiance is, what the hell's going on? I haven't heard from her. They haven't come up. So he begins to think the home-built sub ran into a problem and sank or maybe ran out of oxygen. But the bottom line here for all is he's listening to his gut. He's in panic mode. Something is wrong and Kim is in trouble. Madsen's vessel has no satellite tracking system. You know, so it's not like it can be easily picked up underwater. When Ole cannot get hold of Kim after such a long period of time, he phones Ingrid and Joachim Wall, Kim's parents in Sweden, who are preparing to take off on an extended vacation. Okay? You know, this is this is an unbelievably rough night for Ole and Kim's parents as they await word that the submarine has been located and everything is okay. I, I, I mean, put yourself in this position. It's just agony. Yeah. Someone you love goes underwater at 7 p.m. It's now after midnight. You haven't heard anything from anybody and the submarine hasn't come back up. And you know what? It's a home-built submarine. So a report comes in from a merchant ship that the sub has been spotted close to the Orzen Bridge, that infamous eight-kilometer rail and vehicle bridge linking Denmark with Sweden. Now, this is the same bridge from the popular crime series, The Bridge which opens with the discovery of two horribly mutilated bodies cut in half, joined together at the waist and left on the bridge, one body part in Sweden, the other body part in Denmark. So the top half of the torso is that of a high-powered Swedish political person, and the lower half is that of a Danish sex worker. Yeah, they did an American one where I believe it was in the U.S. and Mexico. So just like right over the border. Right, right. Which involves multiple police departments and jurisdictions, and it gets really complicated. It's like in Juarez, right? That area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. So Kim's parents receive a call that the Danish police were alerted to an accident at sea near 4 a.m., and they're checking it out. From that, the Coast Guard, using helicopters and boats, now engage in a search at sea for the submarine. Now it's 10.30, the next morning. Kim's parents and Ole are told the sub is in Koch Bay, Copenhagen. Radio contact has been made with Peter Madsen, who says, quote, everyone on board is fine. 
end quote. No sooner are they literally jumping for joy at word that Kim has been located when Ole and Kim's dad receive a message from the Coast Guard in Denmark that the sub has actually sunk near the port of Drager, just south of the bridge. But here's the thing. There's only one survivor. Meanwhile, as Kim's family makes the short trip from Sweden to Denmark over the bridge, it's now past noon this next day. A subsequent event is occurring close to the shore in Copenhagen Harbor on the southwest side of the peninsula. A small floating object is moving closer to the shoreline. It's hard to tell at first, but it appears to be a body. In fact, it's a mutilated human torso. No arms, no legs, and no head. And there are stab wounds all over it. Let's take a short break here and come right back. As Olin Kim's parents come upon the docks near Koch Bay, where the Coast Guard reports the sub is now at the bottom of the bay, their hearts sink with immediate terror when they look in the back of a police cruiser to see Rocket Madsen wrapped in a foil blanket, shivering his shortly cropped reddish-brown spiked hair, dry. The vessel's builder is, apparently, the sole survivor of what was a rescue from his sinking submarine by passing fishermen. Kim Wall's parents roll upon this scene. They don't see Kim. They only see this inventorpreneur guy. Where is Kim? By late afternoon, police send divers down into the sub, expecting to find signs of mechanical error. But what they discover instead is a large amount of blood. They take DNA from Madsen, and by 6 p.m., an announcement is made by Danish police. Peter Madsen is now a murder suspect. Madsen, on the other hand, says he dropped Kim off the sub near 10.30 p.m. the night before at Refshale Island Docks, close to the bridge. Olin Kim's parents are given details. Madsen had been rescued by a small fishing boat after making contact with naval authorities, alerting them that his submarine was sinking. He had been pulled from the water and boated to shore in the hours before they saw him in that police car. Arriving on shore, Madsen had given everyone on the docks a thumbs up as he walked up to them. Madsen addressed reporters at the docks, joking how upset he was about the sub sinking, saying, but she's insured. Isn't that great? Yeah. This is such an interesting moment because since people were already looking for the submarine because it had been you know, lost and police are out looking for it and they're calling submarine experts to come out and look for it, there are people there when this thing goes on, people who know what's going on. And One of the investigators on this case, who was one of the submarine experts, literally says that she saw this, you know, he comes up, he gets off of the boat, he's taken onto this fisherman ship, and she said that the way that the sub went down, it didn't look like it was sinking. Like, it looked like he told it to dive and was getting off the boat when that happened. So the fact that he did this with, like, an audience. He set off with an audience. 
ostensibly the boat sunk or he sunk it with an audience. So that's all fits into the psychological part of this, the narcissism. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a guy who's putting on a show for everybody, basically, right? Yeah. You know, and what does he do? He comes rolling up, walks off the dock. He's soaking wet. He gives a thumbs up. And then people are saying, you, you know, you should be upset because it went down your life's work. But he's saying, nah, she's insured. Right. No, that's arrogant. Right. You know, well, mm -hmm. where's Kim? <laughs> yeah. So later that night, Madsen is held on negligence charges or, quote, causing the death of another, not murder charges. Meanwhile, police, Coast Guard and Naval are searching for Kim. By now, a hairbrush of Kim's has been given to police to test for DNA related to blood found in the sunken sub. But now let's go back to the other side of the peninsula, not far away, and you have a cyclist cruising along the shoreline. And this cyclist discovers a torso washed up on shore in close proximity to where the submarine actually sank, about a half a mile. So... With the discovery of the torso, police believe Madsen murdered and then dismembered Kim aboard the sub, and they begin to work under this evidence, okay? So that's the picture they have. The evidence seems to purport that, but they need to find her body parts because right now it's going to take a while to prove that the torso is Kim. The lead Danish investigator on the case, Jens Jensen, is determined to bring Kim home to her parents. This guy just gets a drive in him. He's going to finish this. There's 9,000 gallons of water that were removed from the sub after it was dragged to shore and towed to Nordhaven and placed in a secured law enforcement facility so crime scene techs could go in and investigate in more detail. Three days after Kim first went missing, police announced that no body parts have been found on board the ship. But Jensen says evidence proves the ship was sunk intentionally. Matson now claims it was faulty ballast tanks that sank the ship. So every time some evidence is presented to Madsen, he comes up with some sort of story. This becomes very common in this case with him. The underscore here is that Madsen keeps changing his story as Danish investigators recover evidence and begin to question him about what happened on board the sub. A week into the investigation with a search party growing daily, I'm talking dozens and dozens of police and Navy and Danish citizens here. This is a huge search party. Police are wading in the water with sticks. They're poking around the shoreline. They're looking for Kim's body parts. If her torso washed ashore, they're thinking the body parts might have done the same thing. Madsen, meanwhile, changes his story yet again. He now says Kim did die on the submarine, but she died accidentally when a hatch swung open and hit her on the head. He claims he panicked and ultimately did what you're supposed to do when someone dies on a vessel out on the ocean. Bury the person at sea. This is just like... The most ridiculous thing I think I've ever heard. You don't bury someone at sea when you're coming back in two hours. No, you bury someone at sea when you're a fucking pirate. When Yeah, when you're in the middle of the ocean. In 1640. Exactly. Uh, not in 2017. I mean, this is just more of Madsen going, oh, that's right. She did die. She did well, die. Right. Yeah, she did die on the sub, which gives reason for the blood. I took care of it, guys. 
Never mind her family or her loved ones needing to have closure. Yeah. She doesn't need a headstone or she doesn't need a place for her family to visit. I took care of it. They can come to the side of the ocean. Maddening. So now near the end of August, Danish police post on social media that the torso found in Copenhagen Bay is confirmed to be that of Kim Wall. This is when the story breaks and goes viral. Every news source in Scandinavia leads with it. And it's now gaining traction all around the world. And within, you know, days, there'll be 57,000 news stories online about this case. I might say here, I am particularly interested in true crime stories that tell us something about the victims involved. And it's one of the reasons I chose this case, because of Kim Wall. You know, a life is cut short far too early by some psychopath who believes he is superior you know, the guy who plays the God role in the lives of people around him, but knows exactly what he is doing. I think we owe it to the victim to tell the story of their life, not just their death. Kim Wall was a brilliant journalist and rare human being who cared about people, communities, and her families. So the reason I bring that up right here is because, you know, of the 57,000 news stories online about this torso that had kind of washed ashore. You know, I want to point out that it shouldn't be about the torso. It should be about Kim's life. But back to the investigation, more traces of blood found in the sub match Kim Wall's DNA. So it it's clear to lead investigator Jens Jensen that Madsen premeditatively dismembered Kim Wall inside his submarine. You know, Jensen... He's taking on the weight of how violent the case is and how greatly affected Kim's parents are. And he's determined to bring her entire body home and put Madsen away. This guy, I I can't stress enough how Jensen digs his heels in here. And nothing is going to stop this guy from bringing Kim Wall's body home complete and putting this monster where he belongs. He deploys a team of Swedish human remains dogs, specially trained precisely to locate remains. The dogs sit at the stern of a boat and literally sniff the water as the boat motors slowly along the sea. Incredibly, the dogs are able to smell remains at the bottom of the ocean. The search area Yen sketches out takes the exact route he believes Madsen somehow navigated in his submarine with Kim. Divers are on board. When the dogs indicate human remains, the divers go overboard. During a court hearing, as the canine search is happening, Madsen sticks to a story that after Kim slipped on the floor in the tower of the sub, the 150-pound hatch fell and smashed Kim on her head. He was in another section of the boat and soon found her lying in a large pool of her own blood. That's his story. To the court. But at this point, investigators were well aware of the demons in Peter Madsen's life. They did a little bit of background on him. And what they come back with is devastating. One of the movies Pete Madsen obsessed over is the movie Seven, the Brad Pitt Morgan Freeman film in which two detectives hunt a vicious serial killer working under the motive of the seven deadly sins. Now, looking deeper into his life, Madsen was into dark pornography, the type in which women were beheaded and murdered. 
I remember them as a kid being called snuff films. Not that I saw them, but that's what they were called. So as the investigation continues to move forth, a forensic exam of his computer produces many, many disturbing, graphic, violent videos of torture and murder of women in the most brutal ways imaginable, in a sexual nature. This clear picture of who this guy is is really coming to the surface. So on October 7, as the dogs and divers search, a canine, remember, on the tip of the boat, sniffing the water, hits on something in Koj Bay, not far from where the sub went down. Human remains. Divers flop over the sides of the rubber raft boat and go down. Later that same day, Jensen says he has a major announcement to make. He says that there's no sign of the subhatch malfunctioning. That's big. Kim Wall did not die accidentally, he says. That is for sure. But there's more. Divers have made a gruesome discovery. So let's take another quick break and come back and find out what happens next. So we have this brutal murder of renowned journalist Kim Wall coming together for Danish investigators. And at the same time, we have a suspect in court demanding to be heard. All right, this is important. He demands to be heard. But what comes out of his mouth is a different version of what happened each time. Jensen, who has by now become as close to Kim's parents and fiance as his own family, is nearby when Danish police address reporters on October 7, 2017. And here's what they have to say. In several separate plastic bags, divers find Kim's decapitated head, her clothes, and a knife, along with Kim's two legs. The body parts were weighed down with metal objects so they would not rise to the surface. Police also note that no fractures to the cranium of Kim's head have been found. Kim did not hit her head on the hatch. That's impossible. The way in which the body parts are so patiently configured to sink tells Jensen that Kim's murder was planned really down to the tiniest detail. This is not an afterthought. None of this is an afterthought. Right, right. If you've been a fan of true crime for any length of time, you know that people like this escalate. I mean, this is not the mark of somebody who's like, this is my first time. Right. People don't just start by murdering and mutilating a body and disposing of it in this extremely public setting. It's pathological and it's methodical. Yes. And Jensen is very much aware of that. He is really tuned into who Pete Madsen really is, which I think helps solve this case. Yeah. Because Jensen gets so far into Madsen's mind, it really helps solve this case. So Rocket Madsen says he's done talking now and will not appear in court any longer. He still insists he did not murder Kim Wall. So he wants to talk. Her body parts are found. And then he says, I'm done talking. Jensen is determined to find the rest of Kim's body and pushes everyone to continue searching the bay. Remember, he wants her body intact. Then a saw is located underwater along the route Madsen's sub had taken. As winter approaches, the continued search for the rest of Kim's remains becomes almost impossible against the elements. Remember, Scandinavia here. The winters there are winter. 
and dark. And very dark. By Monday, October 30, Jensen and Danish police get a confession from Madsen that he did cut Kim's body up and tossed her body parts into Kojbe. Once again, in typical psychopathic fashion, Madsen minimizes his role. He claims Kim died of carbon monoxide poisoning while he was up on deck, and he somehow panicked and he got rid of her body. So this guy panics and decides to methodically cut her up, chain her body parts to weights, and put them in plastic bags and dump them over the side of a submarine. Right. It just happened. It just happened. He panicked. The prosecution ups the charges on Madsen as he continues to spew his narcissistic nonsense. He now faces a sexual crime. And I want to just say this next information, it's extremely graphic, but it's factual, which is why I am sharing it. The new charges stem from a more detailed postmortem of Kim's torso. Aggravating conditions are applied to the charges after a large number of stab wounds are discovered in the vaginal and groin area of Kim's torso. And I want to just stop for a moment and just connect that back to the pornography that was found. Mm, Okay? mm -hmm. There's the connection. By November 29, both of Kim's arms are found in Koj Bay. This after heroic efforts by Jensen as he refused to give up the search. Remember, everyone's telling him, no, it's too cold, it's too dark, we're not going to find anything. He keeps pushing, push, push, push. We have to find all of her. If we only had more investigators like Jens Jensen, I wonder what kind of world it would be. Mm-hmm. This guy is very rare. Yeah. On January 16, 2018, Pete Madsen is charged with murder, sexual crimes, desecration of a grave, and crimes against maritime law. By April 25, after a trial, Madsen is found guilty of all the charges and given life in prison, which I might say is a very rare sentence in Denmark. Looking at a case like this, I mean, based on my knowledge of these guys, I would bet a man like Madsen doesn't just one day begin dismembering women. It is a behavior he would have built up to, you know, as we touched on earlier. But so far to this day, Madsen's DNA and or fingerprints have not been connected to any other homicides in Scandinavia. And boy, did they look. They, they did search. Look, Pete Madsen is a self-serving, extremely violent, narcissistic psychopath who lies, lies, lies. We, we, you know, we all know this about the guy. The question we go to in these gruesome cases that defy understanding, though, is why? You know, why does someone do this? Why does someone chop up a body like that? How can someone do that? What was Madsen's thought process behind his brutality? I think that's what our minds go to in a case like this. We try to understand how someone could do that. I can say from my experience interviewing men just like Madsen, sitting in front of them, looking at them, getting that dark energy from them, looking into the shallowness behind their eyes that's legitimately there. These men show a different level of psychopathy and antisocial personality disorders. They really do. It takes a mind with an inability to express any emotion in any way to commit these types of crimes. Dismembering a human being to these people, I have come to understand, in a literal sense, feels no different to them 
than taking out the trash. It's, it's a mindless act for them. They have zero feeling when they're doing it. They're just cleaning up part of the crime that they committed. It's all part of the murder. It's all part of that fantasy in their head. Matson developed aspects of his fantasies about dismemberment and brutalizing women from the videos found on his computer. There's no doubt about that. He's living out what he watched on his computer for years. What made him take the next step from fantasy to reality and live out those illusions is where the gray area lies. This is the area that I would like to study more. What is going on when I decide the fantasy is not enough, I have to act it out? What's the in-between? What's that gray area? In letters written to journalist Thomas Jerzing from prison, Madsen emphasizes that there are always reasons for things. And there were reasons for the murder that stem back to his childhood. Reasons is an interesting word there. Quote, imagine that you have a little boy. What do you have to do to such a boy to make him commit a crime like the one committed on August 10th, 2017? End quote. He also claims that he was feeling a loss of control at his company, which caused him to turn to murder. Give me, you know what? I'm not even going to comment on that. Stress at work. Yeah. Stress at work. It's almost as good as the Twinkie defense. I ate too much junk food and I killed somebody. (laughs) Now that I can see, but you know, a problem at work, I can't. What is most chilling is that Madsen had been planning the murder for a while, searching for a potential victim everywhere he looked. Madsen had an open marriage, and several women he had relationships with came forward with text messages from Madsen asking them to ride in his submarine in the months leading up to the murder. He would always insist they come alone. For one reason or another, they all turned him down, and Kim Wall was the first to say yes. She was simply in the wrong place at the wrong time, with a psychopath. Incredibly, in October 2020, Madsen manages to escape from the Danish prison where he is serving his sentence. Armed with a faked pistol, donning a phony belt of explosives that he engineered, that's the inventor in him coming out as he's in prison, mind you, he approaches prison personnel and threatens to shoot and blow them up if he is not allowed to walk out the door. He gets about a half mile away on foot. His capture is piped live on TV, which I love. I just love that part of this. (laughs) He gets an additional 21 months to his life sentence, which is important. This is important because a life sentence in Denmark comes with the possibility and eligibility of probation. Yes, probation after, okay, put your enraged coat on, just 12 years. You can get probation after 12 years after getting a life sentence. It's really, I mean, it, it reminds me of that, the shooter in Norway who killed right. 80-some kids in that summer camp. Students. Yeah, and he yeah. he got a life sentence, which I believe in Norway is about 20 years. But you think about somebody this unhinged and this methodical and this much of a hunter. Oh, a guy, and he escaped from prison. I right. mean, this guy is obviously going to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. Right. But then another part of me says if Pete Madsen was released from prison in 12 years and he somehow disappeared, I don't think anybody's going to be looking for him. And I think there's a lot of people out there who 
want Pete Madsen to disappear from the earth. So um, not that I'm encouraging anybody, but you know, I don't think you'll see him again if he gets out. In a true crime documentary that aired in 2021, Madsen finally admits he murdered Kim Wall. He gives an interview and bang, yep, I killed her. And Finally, done with all the other stories, huh? Yep, I can now because I've been charged, I've been given a sentence, and I'm going to get out. So I can say whatever I want now. That's basically what that is. You know, and I don't normally like promoting TV shows, uh, but in early 2021, HBO premiered a Danish limited dramatic series titled, quote, The Investigation, end quote. And I put that in quotes because it's important to me. And it's focused on Kim Wall's murder, and it's based mostly on the book by her parents, A Silenced Voice, The Life of Journalist Kim Wall. I've read the book, and it's it's gut-wrenching, this book. But this book really immortalizes Kim and honors her entire life. And who better to do that than her parents? But to me, I want to talk about the investigation on HBO for a minute. It should be a tutorial from which all crime dramas take a masterclass in. The series focuses specifically on the investigation. And here's the thing. You never see those tacky interrogation scenes with the gruffy perp and the clean cops sitting across from each other, like on, you know, Law and Order. the staged ones. Yeah. Yeah. Every episode of Law and Order, you know, there's a table, a dark room, and there's a light dangling in the center. And the second cop is always leaning against the wall, right? With that, with that eyebrow up, sizing up the suspect. This series has none of that, okay? This series is entirely from lead detective Jens Jensen's point of view. And what I love, really love, is how it truly depicts the relationship between the lead detective and the victim's family and what they both go through as an investigation gets underway. I mean, it's heartbreaking to watch this, okay? And what's more, it portrays exactly how investigations unfold in the real world of police work. And I want to just underline that. This series really shows what an investigation is truly like. The bumps, the 99% walls that you run into, and then the 1% wins. So that is the story of the murder of Kim Wall, an extraordinary woman whose life was taken far too soon. The only small mercy here is that Madsen committed such a blatantly obvious crime that he was put away before there were more victims. I I think about if he did this kind of in a vacuum and he didn't, you know, have that big presser, how many other people he he would have murdered. Yeah. Tell me what you think about this too, Phelps. This particular crime seems like something that comes at the end of a serial killer's run. This seems like Gacy who had invited police into his house to use the restroom and they smelled the bodies and- Brazen. um, Brazen, right. The narcissism takes control Mm -hmm. because they believe they're smarter than police. You know, we saw this in one of the episodes earlier this season with Israel Keys, where Mm -hmm. he makes a mistake and grabs someone right from his backyard, basically. So you, you make a great point, Catherine, because when you look at a crime like what Madsen committed, you think- There must be a whole slew of crimes before this. But I will say this. When you take into consideration the pornography that was found Mm -hmm. on his computer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here's a guy that maybe was leading up to this through the pornography, Mm -hmm. okay? 
However, there could be other victims yeah. of his. Yeah. And all throughout Scandinavia, right? Because Yeah, that's a good point. Remember, we're talking here the states FBI, we have the FBI that communicates with each other and maybe pieces together serial killer cases of body parts, you know, and bang, we have a serial killer that they're looking for hunting. But over there, these are countries. Right. So uh, Norway could have some body part cases, Sweden, Finland, I mean, and he could have done them all. Right. Who knows? Well, and this one specifically was so close to the border that, you know, there were multiple jurisdictions involved and all that. Right. I want to leave everyone with this quote. In 2011, Kim Wall wrote, I want to know how the world works, and I hope that I maybe one day can learn enough to make a difference. I'd say that Kim Wall did make a difference. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the show. I'll have more true crime stories next week. Be safe and be on the lookout for nonsense from narcissists. It's all out there. Sources for today's episode come from Peter Madsen, killer of Kim Wall, is sentenced for jailbreak by Isabella Kwai, The New York Times, 2921, the Kim Wall Memorial Fund website, Kim Wall, Danish inventor confesses murder in new documentary, BBC News, September 2020, Submarine Murder by Sophia Petkar and Debbie White, The Sun, Kim Wall, What We Know About Danish Submarine Death, BBC News, September 2020. A Silenced Voice, The Life of Journalist Kim Wall, a book by Ingrid and Joachim Wall. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.